0: You're listening to Raising Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss the issues and trends in child development, education, and parenting. Welcome back to Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host, as always, is Ann Gadzikowski. Today, we're talking about a cherished, time-honored ritual of the parent-child relationship, story time. Hey guys, so today Ann and I have a very special topic to discuss. This is one that actually a family that we know they requested. So they have a toddler who is in the tell me a story phase where he every night before bed wants his parents to tell him a story and it's not just one. They'll tell him a story and he'll request more and more and more, and obviously that delays his bedtime. So the parents were asking us why, why is this? this a phase? What does it mean? And so Anna and I thought this would be a perfect topic to discuss today. I'm so excited to talk about
1: this. I love stories. I just think it's such a perfect topic. Mm -hmm. There are so many different directions we could go in this conversation, but why don't we start by talking about our own memories from our childhood about how we were
0: told stories at bedtime. Do you have memories like that, Elizabeth? Oh, I, I do. When I was a little kid, my parents were very very much the type to read stories before we went to bed. So they would read stories, but they also would give us kind of that option of like, well, tell me a story. And I would always request that because I love books to this day. And I love imagination. And when I was growing up, I was so excited to see where my parents would take the story. You know, was the princess going into the, the dragon cave? Or was she running in the field? And so I loved I loved listening to those. And then when I when I got older, a couple years ago, my niece was in this phase and I got to experience it on the other side where she Especially when we were in a car together, she would request a story to be told on the car ride. And she was a little bit, <laughs> she liked to direct the story too. Mm-hmm. So like she would be in there and she'd be like, Aunt Elizabeth, tell me a story. And so I would start a story and then she'd be like, no, no, no. I want this to go this way or tell me about this. So like she would kind of want to choose how the story was being told. Once I was done with one, she didn't even let herself give a second of a breath. She was like, tell me another. Tell me another. Mm-hmm. And no matter if the trip was two minutes, 10 minutes, a half an hour, she would always request a story. Mm-hmm. So, so I got to really experience it in both ways. But yeah, what about what about you? Bedtime
1: stories were a really important part of my childhood. I have two older brothers. And so of course their attention spans were longer and they, you know, demanded more grown up <laughs> stories than I did. So my mom would usually read stories to us and mm-hmm. we she would read chapter books to us and we would read a chapter after each night before we went to bed. Winnie the Pooh books, but then also later things like the Narnia books mm. or the Phantom Toll Booth. Mm-hmm. So kind of very grounded in the, in the written word. But then my dad would tell us funny stories and not every night, but once in a while he would tell us a funny story or on a car trip. I remember one about an octopus in the bathtub, <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> but with my own child and I, I have just an only child. So we didn't, there wasn't the sibling dynamic. So it was just her But one of the things I remember when she was really little, like this toddler stage, somehow, I don't know how this started, but we got into this routine of telling the story of what we did that day. Oh. So it was like, it was nonfiction. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she she would say, tell me what we did. Oh. And then I would just kind of tell the story of, you know, we went to the grocery store and we, we cooked dinner and we went to the park and it had to be pretty accurate. Like if I got the order wrong or if I left something out, then she would jump in <laughs> and, and correct me. And she also loved fairy tales too. When she got a little bit older and I would still read to her, even though she could read herself, I would read to her at night. And we had a big book of fairy tales and we would read different fairy tales each night, which I really enjoyed.
0: I think it's so unique that you guys kind of took that, what you said, nonfiction approach. (laughs) Not only all of the stories I requested when I was little, but then also the ones that I just naturally tell, whether it's, you know, my niece or even my younger sister when she was growing up or whatever, I, I would always kind of take that fantastical approach. I think I just had more fun with it. There's really no limit to how you tell a story. There's mm-hmm. so many ways it can go. But I, I do think it's an interesting kind of differentiation where the tell me a story can that be applied to both a story on the spot that you think of? Or are they asking for a, like a book to be read? Hmm. And I wonder if if it can be kind of both. My parents would tend to, if they, had the, if they had the choice, they would read a book. Because obviously parents at the end of the day, especially I had three sisters, they were just like, I just want something that is already done for me. They can read from it. And I, again, would always try to go for more of the mysteries or the fantasy. And my mom would desperately try to get me to choose Ramona Quimby, which is a series of books that is so cute. But I would put of a fuss because I, I guess I was pretty opinionated on what stories I was told. <laughs> but, but back to my question. So when you think of the kids are asking, like, tell me a story, do you see that as a like a made up story or even one from a book?
1: Okay, so here's where I'll put my, you know, child development expert hat on uh-huh. and say that I think that there are a couple of things that children need or might need at bedtime. So they might just want to postpone going to bed. <laughs> you know, that's part really? of too. So it could be just a stalling mechanism or they might really want to engage with their parents. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a really busy day or a really hard day and they just need more of that connection, that attachment mm-hmm. to their parents. And so asking for a story is a way to get that. And sometimes it's a matter of control, especially like a two or a three-year-old, you know, that's the, they talk about the two-year-olds, you know, wanting to be the boss, right? Mm-hmm. So this sense of like wanting, wanting to make something happen when they, when a child demands that the parent make up the story, Sometimes that's where it's coming from. The child needs that sense of autonomy or that sense of power. But that doesn't mean the parent necessarily has to do exactly what the child says. <laughs> it is normal for children to want to be in charge, but that doesn't mean that that the parent should always give in. Mm-hmm. And I have so much, you know, compassion for the exhausted parent right? Especially now. So if a child is demanding that you make up a story on the spot and you are just absolutely exhausted, I'm just saying, parents, you do not have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can say no. Yeah, you are the parent. Someone's just recognizing, you know, that that's a dynamic that's going to happen and that that child might be kind of Pushing the limits a little bit, or trying to postpone bedtime, and it's really okay for the parent to just say, I, "I'm too tired tonight," or uh-huh. "Let's just read from a book," so I don't have to mm-hmm. make up a story, or just put on an audio, a recording of an audio book, and have have that be the bedtime story. So mm-hmm. parents need to set limits, you know, reasonable limits yeah. on what they really can do at bedtime. You
0: know, even of all the options you gave, the underlying factor is that they're they're still giving their child an outlet through a story. On whatever that means, whether it's audiobook or a made-up story or from a book itself, and I think you can agree how crucial it is that they have that. Let the parents remember that they are the parent and that they need to, you know, honor how they feel in that moment, Mm -hmm. and that if they're able to still, in some way, provide that before bedtime like story, that that is still a win.
1: Definitely, yeah. And there is a lot of um, research that shows that children who are regularly read to at home do better academically. There's all kinds of, you know, evidence that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And an audio book, a recording of an audiobook has the same impact because they're developing listening and language. They're not necessarily looking right at the text the whole time, right? But they're still mm-hmm. learning a lot from that. So that That routine is important. Having a story at bedtime is a really important routine. And however that works in your family, you know, that's going to vary. But definitely having some experiences with stories and language at the end of the day, that's really important.
0: You know, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but I just I want to explicitly kind of ask, like, you know, why do children do this? Why is there a tell me a story phase? Like it's something that they just They feel so eager to hear a story and it's such, I don't want to say a requirement of their toddler years, but I feel like it is almost like Mm -hmm. a a stepping stone where every parent has to have this example of their kid wanting some sort of story. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, like, why, why is that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there are um, psychologists and researchers
1: who have really looked at this. And and the one that I'm most familiar with is Jerome Bruner, who has written a number of books on how we need stories to make sense of our world. And every culture has stories, has Folk tales has fairy tales. There's a learning mechanism in storytelling and there's a connection to other people, but there's also this sense of, of meaning. Like our, our lives have meaning when we can understand mm-hmm. them in the context of stories. So I think, I think there's just this very core human need to hear stories and to turn our experiences into stories. Yeah.
0: And I, I also think it was really interesting earlier when you said it gives them kind of that autonomy and they want that because rightly so. There's so little things that kids can control. So I feel like when they realize that there is something that maybe they can control and they can kind of direct, they also get more excited because they are kind of building those autonomy skills and learning that there are ways that they can direct a story and something that they want to hear. But maybe they can say like, I want a story about this, Mm -hmm. or I want this to happen, and then kind of have their parent create a story around that. Like, I think that's very interesting as well.
1: And a lot of this happens during the time of the child's development when they're doing a lot of pretend play. Mm, mm -hmm. And I think there's a big connection between that, this demand, tell me a story and children's pretending. And I, I learned a lot about that when I was a preschool teacher and we would read stories and the children, we'd have free play and the children would act out the stories voluntarily as part of their free play. We would read, you know, Three Billy Goats Gruff and then the children would go play on the playground and they'd be running around, you know, going over the bridge and, you know, trying to get away from the troll and, mm-hmm. you know, what is the line? Trip, trap, trip, trap. Who's that? Going over my bridge. It is I, the biggest Billy Goat Gruff. So it was so great to see how the children would incorporate that into their play. And it was another way for them to take charge. It was another way for them to be the, the powerful strong people that they were becoming.
0: Yeah. And I think one other way, especially that, you know, it, it resonates with this year is that stories are an escape mm. and I think that for this year, especially, it's important to foster that idea of storytelling, because it kind of gives us an escape for kids and parents from what's going on right now. And I I think it's it's helpful for kids to kind of just take a break from whatever they're doing during their day and just kind of set themselves into that story. And it sounds daunting. And I'm sure every parent has had this experience. And if you haven't yet, it's coming. Their kid says, (laughs) tell me a story. And There's kind of that blank, like, oh no, what do I even tell? How do I start? So I'm curious, like how do you tell a good story? How can we kind of give our listeners this little like toolkit of here, here's how to tell a good story. So next time you've got it. Let's try it. I mean, we haven't practiced this or rehearsed Mm -mm. this, but let's let's pretend
1: that we have to tell a story on the spot. Like how would (laughs) how would we do it? So I the suggestion I would make from my experience as a teacher primarily is to start with a story you know and change it in some way. Take a fairy tale or folktale folk tale that we know well and we're going to create a variation on that. Do you have one in mind, Elizabeth? Like a favorite fairy tale?
0: A favorite fairy tale? One that you know really well. Goldilocks and the Three Bears? All I know is when you first started saying, all I could think about was a toad. <laughs> oh. all right okay so so how about we do how about we do
1: Goldilocks and the three bears except instead of Goldilocks it's a toad okay okay I can I can try this (laughs) (laughs) all right so we know how this story is going to begin what the first words are going to be right once upon a time so once upon a time there was a toad and if we think about Goldilocks and the three bears well, where where did the three bears live in the woods yeah so yeah and So many fairy tales take place in the woods, right? So the woods are like the place of mystery. So once upon a time, there was a toad who was walking through the woods, hopping, and as the. Oh,
0: that's right.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's exactly what a three year old would say. The toad does not walk,
0: the toad (laughs) hops. Okay. So the toad's hopping through the woods. And then what is. What does the toad find? He comes across this cabin with so much intrigue to it. And he's curious, what is in this cabin? It looks abandoned. The door is open. I want to explore. Mm -hmm. So he hops over the threshold into this cabin and asks, is anyone home? And no one answers. No one answers.
1: So it's all for him. So our toad goes in and goes into the kitchen. What does
0: the toad find in the kitchen? Finds three bowls of what he assumes is porridge. Now, he could be wrong and a toad has never had porridge, but he's open to try things. Let's change it. I don't know what toads eat. Do they eat insects? Flies?
1: Let's have it (laughs) it be flies instead just to make Make it a little bit weirder. a bowl of
0: fly porridge.
1: (laughs) Yes, with nice big chunks of flies Uh in it. And the
0: toad was so excited at the delicious fly. And hungry. His stomach was growling Mm -hmm. and he saw these three bowls And so he thought, well, no one's home. I'm hungry. I'm just going to take a nibble and see. So he goes to the first bowl.
1: Yeah. But you know what? That first ball was too hot. Way too hot. You know, the toad's long, you know, darting tongue coming out of its toady mouth. It got burned. So actually, um, let's interrupt the story for a moment because, you know, we could spend the whole rest of the podcast building this story, couldn't we? We're having too good of a time here. Yeah. yeah.
0: I I honestly think that the toad is also kind of perfect for kids, too, because as much as parents probably think this is, Creepy and disgusting. This is stuff that kids thrive on. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, a, a creepy toady story.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Fly yeah. porridge. It's perfect. So, the, so the point is to take a story they already know and to change something about it and then that kind of changes the story in really interesting ways.
0: It does and you can have so much fun with it too and I, I, I keep thinking back to even the part where we said the toad was walking and we kind of realized like <laughs> oh that's not true but you're right your child if you make kind of a slip like that they will probably point it out and it's also if you're willing a good opportunity to kind of let them not necessarily direct the story but add to it. I think that is kind of important and helps create and gives you a little bit too if you're also struggling in the story, you can also just kind of rely on them. And
1: and another thing I think that parents sometimes are afraid to do in a story is to make make it scary or to make some kind of struggle or hardship in the story because you want the story to go over so you can put your child to bed, but also <laughs> you don't want to scare your child or, you know, upset them. Mm-hmm. But actually what makes a story good is that struggle. I mean, there's all kinds of writers who write about story structure and the hero's journey and all that. Like there has to be some kind of obstacle or challenge that is overcome during this story.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's important too, to note that in our podcast, we We spoke with Dr. Michelle Borba, and she said with stories that they really teach children empathy. Mm. And so that's another reason why parents, it it might feel a little off to want to include those kind of more unfortunate parts of, of life, but it's important for kids. It helps them build that empathy skill that is so important for not only kids, but humanity. So, you know, I think it's also another reason to feel comfortable and doing that because it does build that. And I think it's important for them to experience a lot of different aspects of the character in your story and, and have those feelings and emotions and connectivity with that character and story.
1: Yeah. And when children make up their own stories, they usually put a lot of conflict in there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they do. We're going to take a quick break. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Let's take a moment to talk about today's sponsor. Did you know Britannica designed a safe and trusted site that allows kids to be just that, kids? On Britannica Kids, you'll find content from great intellects across the globe, including leading educators, Pulitzer Prize winners, and Nobel Laureates. And it's all designed with kids in mind. Go to kids.britannica.com kids30 for 30% off your subscription today.
1: Because the news around us changes by the second, reliable information is more important than ever. Consider supporting our quest for the truth with a Britannica Premium membership and gain access to over 1 million pages of fact-checked content. Go to Britannica.com premium30 and get 30% off your subscription today.
0: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. So, for the parents who are willing and, and able to have their kids be a part of their story making process, mm-hmm. how is there a way to best do that? Like, how do you include the child if you're wanting to during a storytelling process? Yeah, I think a lot of it happens
1: spontaneously in the ways we've already
0: talked about this
1: kind of choose your own adventure where the child will jump in and say, well, no, this is what really happened. But one of the ways you can really intentionally nurture your child's language and storytelling is through story dictation. Now, this would probably not happen at bedtime. This might be during the day, but where a child tells you a story and you write it down for them. Mm. And this is especially important practice for young children who are are literate They're not reading and writing yet. So this is the only way they could write a story is by having an adult write it for them. But there's also some really interesting research about what happens when adults will take dictation from a child when they're telling a story, even when that that child can write themselves, because usually the adult can write much faster. And that frees up the child to use language in more interesting ways. They might um, experiment with using less familiar words because they don't have to worry about how to spell it. Mm. They can tell some really fascinating stories.
0: I think that's really interesting about what you said about it frees them up from, you know, not having to worry about spelling. And we've heard kids too, they'll, they'll use certain words, maybe incorrectly, but they're trying them out. And so when you're allowing them to dictate, they're really trying to incorporate words that maybe they've heard in the family conversations or in just passing in the real world by, you know, not having them kind of think about like, oh, I don't know how to spell this. They're more able and probably willing to try and incorporate them in the story. And it's also a good way if maybe they use an adjective incorrectly or they use an adjective as a verb. It's a good way for, you know, later for when you're reading the story back to them to kind of explain like where that word might be best placed instead or kind of what that means. And I think it's also kind of a learning experience too. But I think that's very interesting.
1: There was a really amazing teacher named Vivian Paley, who was a preschool and kindergarten teacher at the University of Chicago Lab School for many, many years. She just passed away recently. She wrote a bunch of books and was a MacArthur genius scholar. So her work mm -hmm. was very well known in the early childhood education community. But one of the things she was best known for was story dictation. And she developed techniques and ideas and methods around story dictation in the the early childhood classroom. And what was so exceptional, I think, about Vivian Paley's work around story dictation was that she did it every day. Oh, wow. She didn't do anything all that strange. You know, she'd sit down at a table and say, tell me how your story begins. And the children would start talking she'd start writing. But what was exceptional was that it was such an ordinary thing. It was such a, a part of their routines and it was a part of the classroom culture so that these stories that the children created became an integral part of the way friendships were formed and the way problems were solved, conflicts were resolved. And that was what she wrote her amazing books about, her award-winning books about was she would describe through stories, the story of her classroom and how these story dictation practices shaped the kindness of the children and the ways that they treated each other because they had the context of the stories. Oh, and I think what I forgot to mention, which is also so important, the children would act out the story. Mm, mm -hmm. So Vivian Paley would record the story. She'd write down the children's words. Often they were very short, just a sentence or two. But then when playtime was over, they would come to the rug and then they would act these out together. So for example, a story might be as simple as the bird was lonely. The bird saw a squirrel. The bird said, tweet, tweet, will you play with me? You know, that would be a very kind of a typical three, four or five-year-old would tell a story like that. And then the children would come to the rug and one child would be the bird and one child would be the squirrel and they would act it out. And it it was such a lovely thing to see. And this would happen every day. So if a child was really lonely and they wanted to make a friend, they could make a friend through the story. Mm -hmm. So it was a really beautiful practice. And my work as a teacher was really influenced by that. And I wrote a book for teachers on how to do story dictation, just kind of like a basic handbook on how to do it. Mm -hmm. And when I was researching that book, I collected examples of stories that children had told and I had like 300, 400 stories. Oh, wow. Some of those were incorporated in my book. And I knew we were going to talk about stories today. And I have some examples of some of these stories. Oh, I
0: want to hear them. <laughs> yeah. So let me share a couple of those with you. Well, and just think for parents who, who do this, who want to try to like do the story dictation, think about what treasures you're writing down. And like when the kids get older for their birthday or if they choose to get married down the road, like you give them to them. <laughs> I'm just like, that's such a treasure to have this story. So I'm I'm so excited to hear some of these examples. But I think if you're if you need any other encouragement to write down what your kids are saying, think about it as like a future gift or just a, a laugh.
1: <laughs> OK, so this is very this is a typical example. Here's what the child said. And actually, this was when I was a teacher. I wrote this one down. hmm. My story begins with Snow White. Snow White, I'm going to do today. The wicked old witch turns into a hag. Then <laughs> <laughs> she tries to move a big rock and tried to crash the dwarves. And she caught her balance and fell to her doom. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then the poor dwarves made a little glass for poor Snow White. And she wanted to stay with them. And one day, a prince came and took her on the horse. And they lived happily ever after in a castle, and then they got married. And they lived happily ever after. Right. I love that one. <laughs> I, I love the language in this because she's got the storybook language, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't say once upon a time, but she does begin the story with great drama. And she uses the word hag. <laughs> and Doom. I love the doom. And I like this expression. She says that the witch caught her balance and fell to her doom. I think she means that she lost her balance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can see how the children are playing with the language and they're they're figuring out how to use it.
0: I also think it's interesting. And it's a story that I'm familiar with. And yet she kind of gives you the the spark notes in the like, she chooses the most important parts. And I, I thought that was just really interesting because I was like, wow, she really hit everything without giving a lot of fluff. It was very succinct, but well chosen sections of the story. Here's
1: an example of a fairy tale. This one's Jack and the Beanstalk that a uh, four year old, a little four year old retold. Now this is kind of different though. Mm. So this is not the spark notes. This is the child taking it in a whole new direction oh interesting jack and his friends went up a beanstalk and they saw a giant the giant came running after them the giant grabbed him and put him towards his mouth oh he put jack and his friends in his mouth and the giant put his hand in his mouth and took jack and his friend out of his mouth And the giant gave Jack and his friends to his doggy to eat for dinner. Oh. The doggy ate Jack for dinner. Oh wow. Jack's friends are named Tony and Dina. <laughs> and the doggy ate Tony for breakfast. The doggy's name is Jessica. So <laughs> So Tony and Dina went down the beanstalk and Jessica the doggy was nice to Tony and Dina.
0: Oh my goodness. That yeah, that is not spark now. <laughs> Someone is so creative. I also love the name choices for all of the characters. You could almost hear how the child was thinking because so much of it was in the moment and almost like after the fact. So like in the mouth. Oh, and then the kid was probably like, actually, I don't want that. And so... Oh, they have to like take him out of the mouth and give him to the dog. And then they're probably like, oh, I need to give the dog a name. I could feel the kid thinking as mm-hmm. they were writing that. Yeah. And
1: what we were talking about before, about not being afraid of, of having some conflict in the story, you know, it's interesting how the children, when they tell stories, you know, horrible, horrible things happen. Yeah. <laughs> And
0: I can mean, easily fix it again with magic. Exactly. I think you can. The kids usually do. And you also have to think about from our perspective as adults, because we have so much context, we see some things as horrible, but for, for the kids, they might not really feel like it is necessarily horrible. It's almost like matter of fact. And there is an element of scary to it, but it's never quite to the extent that maybe we think of, because we do have so much more understanding and experience. And so you have to kind of remember too that they might not see scary in the same way and it is their way of processing so just want to continue to encourage parents to kind of not feel like they have to kind of limit how their kids tell stories or correct if they're going to more of like a uncertain area and just let them explore Mm -hmm. because it's it's just a story it's not a
1: predictor of anything that's going to happen so that's what Vivian Paley would say that you write down the story exactly as the child says it and you don't correct it or change it I loved
0: those stories. Can I read one more for you? Yes, I, I would love one. This
1: is a little bit older child. This is a six-year-old. So this is kind of an example of if you do give a child an opportunity to tell stories regularly, how those stories might develop into something that's um, it's not exactly polished, but you can tell this is a little bit older child. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, there was a princess that got confused all the time. And her father, the king, thought that she did it for fun. And he sent her to her room and she jumped out the window. The king got so mad that he made her sleep in the dungeon for one night. And the next morning, he said to himself, what has gotten into that girl? And then he said, what is wrong with you to the princess? (laughs) On her third birthday, the king said, maybe I should get you a copy of a book called Never Forget Things. And that will teach you not to forget. But she kept on forgetting, even though he got her the book. One day, she said, maybe we should go fishing. And she caught no fish. And the king caught four fish. And the princess could do beautiful embroidery, but she couldn't fish. (laughs) She found a prince and they married and the princess never forget it again. They went camping and they had a good time and they went swimming with their beach ball. They found a robin's nest with eggs in it. They saw shooting stars at night. The end. Oh, I like that one a lot. Isn't that
0: nice? That's very nice. It's so sophisticated. There's all this dialogue in it. I was very surprised when you said six years old and I'm just thinking, my goodness, that's a very mature story and very polished. More than I would have expected. Yeah. It's very logical. You know, Towards the end, it got a little, a little bit more freeform, yes. but <laughs> the beginning, everything followed a very logical step. That was a good one. I love that she could do lovely embroidery, but she couldn't fish. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that the child chose embroidery, but I think that's an
1: example of a child who, even though she's very young, she's heard stories all the time. You know, so you're hearing the language of stories, you're hearing lots of interesting vocabulary, and that's how children learn. Yeah,
0: as much as it might be slightly annoying for parents for their kids to be in this tell me a story phase because of how frequently they ask. I do hope that listening to this podcast with us, they kind of understand how crucial it is of a developmental stage. And hopefully we gave you guys some ideas of how to tell a story. You can even use the ones that we told or that you heard. It's a very interesting stage that kids are in. And boy, do they have big imaginations. It's it's wonderful to listen to.
1: Yeah. And I would just encourage parents to try different things and see what works for you. There are all kinds of different ways to tell stories, to listen to stories mm-hmm. and just having a nice moment before your child goes to sleep and has happy dreams. That's the most important thing. So don't stress over making it the most perfect thing or having it extend for a long period of time. Just some kind of short and meaningful connection with your child is most important.
0: I also want to say that if there are any parents listening who want to share a story either they've told or that their child has told them, we would love to see and hear them. Please feel free to share with us as well. And I hope you enjoyed our story time podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romansky, and my co-host is Anne Gatzikowski. By the way, feel free to take our idea of the toad in Goldilocks and the Three Bears and make it your own. Or if you're still in need of some new material, head over to Britannica Books and pick up a copy of our brand new book, 5-Minute Really True Stories for Bedtime. Our audio engineer and editor for this episode is Emily Goldstein. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and share with your friends. This program is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica Incorporated, all rights reserved. I have to admit that I kind of forgot about uh, Goldilocks and what happens. I just, I knew. I, know, <laughs> I knew, there three bowls, three chairs, three beds. I know, I was one. like, those are the same. But so then I was like, I wait, do they come across a cabin? I have no idea. <laughs>
1: Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Britannica for Parents, a free site with expert advice for your tech-savvy family needs. Whether it's explaining Zoom to your three-year-old, navigating your child's new friendship with Siri, or more serious topics like talking to young children about the police or sending your kids back to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, we're here to help with resources for parents of all age groups. Check us out at parents.britannica.com.